welcome to Real Talk for Real Teachers. I'm Dr. Becky Bailey, the creator of Conscious Discipline, expert in education, child development, and a lifelong teacher and learner. For those listening who are not aware of Conscious Discipline, it is a comprehensive, trauma-informed, self-regulation program that integrates social-emotional learning, school culture, and discipline. Conscious Discipline is a brain-based program that helps educators use current neuroscience understanding in regard to the impact of stress and trauma on learning. It provides the seven powers for conscious adults to help teachers regulate their emotions enough to see conflict differently, and the seven basic skills of discipline that empower teachers to respond to conflict and upset in a way that instills life skills in children. So what are real teachers? Real teachers are just that, real people. Real teachers are dedicated, compassionate people, often overlooked by our society, not just in pay, but in gratitude. Real teachers watch legislatures at all levels of government point out how our system is broken and failing. Real teachers listen as non-teachers tell us how we need to teach, what we need to teach, and how well we are doing it. And yet, real teachers get up day after day and serve children and families in our societies with an open heart and open mind. Well, folks, today in this podcast, you get me. So I am my own guest speaker, and I'm going to be talking to you about what I think we need to do for active shooter drills and lockdowns. We've heard already the perspective of a principle in the podcast number one. We heard the perspective of teachers in podcast number two about this situation. And we've heard from a parent and from a child in podcast three. So now I'm here to add a little something to all that and sum it up for us all. So basically, we can say there's three phases uh, that we need to address in regard to a lockdown. It's before it ever happens, during it's happening, and after it has occurred. So those three phases are essential that we address, and I'm going to address them each separately as we move forward. So at each phase of a lockdown, we have three things to consider. One, teaching the physical procedures. Where do I walk? What do I do? Where do I lay on the floor? What can I say? What can I not say? Two, some way to self-regulate. Breathing, inner speech talk. How do we help manage ourselves in this situation so that we don't allow our stress response to take over and make it impossible to recover from? Three, communication. What communication can be given back and forth? Can I share any information? Certainly in phase one, you can share a lot of information. You can answer a lot of what-if questions. You can say, well, we're going to do this. You can teach the procedures. Everyone will. We will cover the window with a piece of paper. Lights will go out. I will get my cell phone. You will lay over here. So you can be very specific. I encourage you to use those in visuals and have a visual routine. This is what we will do so that every child, even children with autism, children with ADHD, they can embed that information into their mind. Then we're going to have some self-regulation at each stage of the game. The first one is you're going to teach everyone before you even just when school starts that when someone is in distress, when you're in distress, when you see a friend in distress, you're going to be a star and wish well. 
Before we go on, we need to truly understand that we are genetically wired to survive. When the survival system is activated, the higher centers of the brain just shut down. They're not needed. All reasoning goes out the window. What happens is we shift down to the lower centers of our brain. And in order to truly manage these lockdowns, we also somehow must know how to come from the lower centers of our brain back up to the higher centers of our brain so that learning can continue in the educational system. And this process of going from the lower centers to the higher centers of our brain is called self-regulation. All phases, before, during, and after, of competent lockdowns require knowing the procedures and how to self-regulate. We typically focus just on the procedures themselves, as you've heard people mention, and that's not enough. We can't just say, let's practice the procedure. Here's how we go through it. You're going to cover your window, and then you're going to lay down so no one can see you, and et cetera, et cetera. We need way more. We must do more, and we can do more. We don't have to wait for gun laws, more metal detectors, funding for security. We can do this now, right this very minute. Now, self-regulation is the ability to self-regulate your thoughts, feelings, and actions in service of a goal. All of us need to upgrade this skill if you're like me. Just try to eat better and exercise more or work less and see how quickly you sabotage those goals because your thoughts get crazy or your feelings get out of hand. Think of the number of people in our country that suffer from anxiety disorders and depression. Those are lack of self-regulation skills. And then think about the number of people who are impacted just from domestic violence. 20 people per minute in the United States and one in three women have experienced abuse at the hands of someone that said, I love you. So it's time. It's not just for the lockdown. It's not just for this. It's time in our world that we all shift, shift from obedience and compliance to teaching children how to self-regulate and be wise. And in order to do that, again, we must upgrade our skill set. So before we even can move forward into what we do in each phase of these lockdowns, let's think of what it's going to take for all of us, questions we need to ask ourselves and answer honestly as possible. Are we as a country, are you as a person, willing to shift your discipline from an external rewards and punishment model to a comprehensive self-regulation model? Or are we so invested in externally controlling others that we can't imagine how we could control ourselves just because it's never been seen before us? The problem with punishment is not that I have any argument pro or con, it's just that it doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't work is because it relies on fear. And what happens with fear is it throws you down into the lower centers of your brain, which work on conditioned habits. So as we rely on fear, we throw them down into part of the brainstem that's just going to have them repeat this process, where we will act more like actually animals. I mean, we have in the lower centers of our brain, we're very similar to uh, our animal kingdom. When we rely on external controls like rewards and punishments, we are really relying on fear, fear to manage other people. 
And when you rely on fear, you need credible levels of threats. And we know this. For some kids, a level of threat is, I'm going to send you to time out. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. Anything, just keep loving me. For some kids who've been abandoned and have a, a harder start in life, we can say, I'm going to kick you out of school. Okay, fine. I'm going to take away everything you have. Fine. I'm going to call your parents. Please do that. So some kids, their level of credible threat now becomes police officers. So if we continue on this march down this notion that we must rely on fear to control ourselves and other people, ultimately, we're going to end up with a credible level of threat. Police officers, not just at every school, police officers in every classroom, police officers with every child. You can see that as we continue this path, it's going to end up in sabotaging our culture. So what we want to do is start using a practice that brings them up to the higher centers of their brain. And once we get them to the higher centers of the brain, we can actually teach a new skill. So when the situation happens again, you know what to do. Now, you can't just teach it once because that would be like saying, okay, here's how you spell cat, C-A-T, you got that, moving on. You have to do it over and over and over until a child actually gets the skill. So instead of pushing, I say move, please. Instead of hitting when I'm angry, I take a deep breath and then say move, please. So we can do this, and it's an essential part of all of school. So are you willing? Ask yourself, can you shift from external controls to building these internal controls called self-regulation that we learn how to manage our own selves, our own thoughts, our own feelings, and our own behaviors. Can we make that shift? Second, we need to change how we view misbehavior. I mean, right now, for the most of us, it's like misbehavior is some kind of disrespect. You know, they're being disobedient. They're trying to make my day hard. They're just being disrespectful little heathens. And when we do that, we miss what they're telling us. Because all behavior is some form of communication. And we know that with babies. I mean, a little baby reaches their arms up and we go, oh, you want me to pick you up? And the baby goes, wah, wah, wah. Oh, you want your diaper changed. But when they come to and they stomp their feet and fold their arms and go, no, all of a sudden they're a heathen and disrespectful. As opposed to a child who has not yet learned how to handle the frustration of not getting what you want. So we must shift from relying on these external controls to building these internal controls. We must shift from viewing misbehavior as disrespect to seeing as it a form of communication and a call for help. That way we can reach our most difficult children at a young age and set their course into a better trajectory to live amongst us in society in a helpful way. So those are the two big questions each of us must ask ourselves. Can we shift from relying on fear to a reliance on love? Now, by love, I don't mean an emotion. I mean, I am willing to bring the best of myself to each situation. In other words, I can manage my emotions enough so I can show up as a helpful coach for you, as a helpful adult, as an adult ready to negotiate, problem solve, and move forward in life. You have to ask that. Second, are you willing, are you willing to see misbehavior, all behavior is some form of communication, and misbehavior would be a call for help. And can we see it as, oh, what skill is that child missing? Are they having trouble handling anger, frustration, disappointment? And think of the skill in terms of managing emotions.
If so, then we've got a good shot at how to handle a beautiful, very safe, active shooter drill and lockdown in your school. Now, for some uh, district leaders or for some schools, there's this talk and discussion about making the drills more realistic, like a true simulation where they have gunshots firing and blood and smoke and stuff. Just remember how the brain works. The more endangered you feel, the more scarier things become. The more you feel hopeless, helpless to do anything, the more you're setting our children up to be traumatized in school. Now, trauma means that you've overloaded my circuit capacity. Now, again, that would be child-specific. So some children have come to school with different sorts of trauma to begin with, and now we've added trauma to them where they feel helpless and hopeless. Some kids come and they can go, oh, wow, we just had a simulation. They had a couple of guns firing, yahoo, yahoo. So you have to be very careful that what our practices do meets the needs of all children that walk into our building. And with 70% of all people in the United States experiencing some trauma, I think it's better that we use a practice that prepares them for the worst but doesn't have them experience the worst before it happens. Now let's take that big picture and move it down to some specifics. So what are we going to do before the drill? Well, we need to practice the procedures. We need to infuse self-regulation into all parts of our school culture and our classroom culture. And that's what Conscious Discipline's goal is, to change that culture and that climate so that problems are solvable When we rely on punishment, problems are never solvable. They're only hidden from view. And we can't infuse this into our schools through books and literature and puppets and a little video. We have to truly change our minds and our skill set. And so we're going to start right now before you do anything else. Teach everyone in your school. We call it Be a Star, which stands for smile, take a deep breath, and relax. So we're going to be a star and wish well. Wish well means I'm going to open my heart and send loving energy through me to everyone in front of me. So the first thing you're going to do before this drill ever happens, right when school starts, is anyone who finds themselves in a state of distress, everyone in the school is going to learn to breathe, be a star, and wish them well. Now, that we do before We ever talk about fire drills, any drill, any procedure. That's just the first thing. So if you're a teacher, you teach this to your class. Dylan's having a hard time reading. Let's be a star and wish him well. Maria is upset because she forgot her lunch money. Let's be a star and wish her well. As parents, we teach our children to do this for our siblings or for ourselves. Oh, my gosh, I forgot the car keys. I can't believe it. All right, come on, come on, family. Let's all breathe and be a star and wish each other well. I need some help in calming down. If you're a teacher at the school, you do it for your coworkers. Miss Abel is irritated beyond what we can even imagine, so let's all breathe and wish her well. Or the district has just passed down a horrible piece of information that you think, oh, no, not more paperwork. Please, no more paperwork. And you're going to breathe and wish district leaders well. 
And by doing so, we keep the climate calm. But we're also training children. When life doesn't go your way, when you feel distressed, what's the first thing you do? Breathe and wish well. So when you're in a lockdown, what are we going to do? Breathe and wish each other well. You're teaching a skill they can use during a lockdown as well as teaching them procedures of how to do it. Now let's focus on the phase of during the lockdown. Again, we're focusing on procedures, self-regulation, and communication. So during the lockdown, procedures. What are the procedures? You don't want your cell phone on because it'll light up and maybe a shooter could see the light and aim at that. So your specific school procedures. I can't go over those because they're specific to each classroom, how many windows you have, etc. But you go over those, you practice them, you practice them. And then self-regulation. What do we do to self-regulate during a lockdown? Well, certainly you as a teacher can lead them in deep breathing. You also need to teach them how to manage their inner thoughts, just as you need to manage your inner thoughts. And one thing we offer in conscious discipline is called active calming. And it asked you to replace that, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? I don't know what to do. I'm all that in your head with, I'm safe. Keep breathing. I can handle this. I'm safe. Keep breathing. I can handle this. And teach the children. You're safe. Keep breathing. You can handle this. And I want you to all do this as adults. I want you to just kind of put your fingers, your thumbs on your chest and go, my state. And I want you to stick those fingers out. Go, dictates your state. My state dictates the state of my children. So this is essential that we do this first. As they say on the airplane, put your oxygen mask on first. But the children, as you've heard through all the podcasts, are watching your face. They're watching your nonverbal. They're watching your reflection of your inner state on your body. So you can't fake this. I'm safe. Keep breathing. I can handle this. And also keep your eye on certain children that might need extra assistance during this time. You watch their nonverbal language. You watch their face. And their face will tell you their inner state and their eyes. So watch carefully. Move yourself closer to those kids who need extra assistance or put them by someone who can self-regulate better. So they're constantly calming down, turning off the fight or flight response in their body. So in case something else comes up, you'll be wise enough to make the best next move. And you want to, in this phase to communicate to students all information that you can share. If you know that it's a, a loose bank robber who just ran through your parking lot that they've captured, you need to share this with your students. So the more information that you can give them, the lower their anxiety will be. Anxiety comes out in these questions. What if, what if, what if, what if? And the message of anxiety says, get more information. You don't know enough. So the more you can share, the better for all. Now, in the after, it's over. It's over. Now, theoretically, we've got to get these kids back to class safe enough to start learning either that day or the next day or at least the next week. They need to get back to the point where they are not in a trauma state, where they can actually move past this experience and integrate it. And that requires a four-part process. One, you get back to the classroom and you're going to start with some deep breathing together. Let's all just take a few deep breaths now. That was very scary. It's over now. 
It's over. Let's just take a few deep breaths. Then you're going to do debriefing, and you're going to start with, how was that for you? What was your experience? And you need to share yours too. Mine was, I was very scared, so I calmed myself down so I could remember to take the keys and my phone and whatever I needed so that I could guide you. So I was constantly calming myself down, but I did feel my level of anxiety and fear come up, but I quickly managed it so I could keep you all safe. What was your experience? Also, as you finish this debriefing time, end it with some gratitudes. Boy, I'm grateful that that was just a drill. I'm grateful that I sat next to Robert because he was just such a calming influence. I'm grateful that I got to text my mother and she texted me back. I am so grateful that the teacher kept us breathing and her face was soothing so we knew that we were safe. So in that debriefing with some gratitudes. Three, now it's time to dance, sing, move. So that sounds funny, but you've got to get some energy moving and you've got to upgrade into a higher part of the brain. So you need to generate some semblance of positive emotions if possible. So you do some moving, some dancing, and have the children turn face to face. Now, maybe the little ones in pre-K aren't practiced enough to do that. But as you get older, they can turn face to face. In some, if you're in conscious discipline, you'd have a school family song. You're used to doing this. So the kids need to get up and connect, move, and sing. Then end all that with some deep breathing again. So after you sang and carried on and then have everyone sit down, take some more deep breaths, and then try introducing some light, playful, interactive work, some kind of review, a fun game to review something. Don't try to add new information. Let's just review. So those are your steps. Those are your steps for each phase of a lockdown. Those are your steps for tomorrow. And actually, you don't even have to wait for tomorrow. Those are your steps for right now. Start right now when traffic cuts you off. Breathe and wish them well. Start right now when you get home and the dishes are in the sink and not in the dishwasher or wherever they're supposed to be. Breathe and wish well before you open your mouth. Keep yourself as much as possible in the higher states of your brain so that you can make wise choices and wise decisions. So there you have it. That's our summary on lockdowns or active shooter drills. They're a necessity right now, and we need to make significant changes in our educational process of how we deal with misbehavior, how we deal with discipline, how we deal with classroom management, how we infuse social emotional learning, not as a prescriptive 30-minute class on respect, but infuse it all in our schools. So there you have it. Conscious discipline is a way to do this. We spoke to people who have been using conscious discipline, and they had already embedded some of these practices, and they found that if they did, the active shooter drills and the lockdowns went fairly smoothly. So you might ask, so what's Becky up to now? Well, I'm in the process of welcoming over, wait for it, wait for it, 1,624 people from all over the world to our week-long summer institutes. That's 1,624 people, and that's a celebration. They're willing to step out of this deep embedded belief that punishment changes things. And they're going to shift or started that process already from how do we shift from just rewarding those who behave good or punishing those who we believe behave badly to seeing children, seeing that communication and teaching the skill they're missing. 
And the reason they can do it is because they know how to manage their disappointment, their anxiety, their frustration. So they're in for a big transformation. They've already started it. Can't wait to be on that journey with them. I never leave a summer institute without myself personally being changed so that I can be more of who I'm meant to be. So for the rest of you, for everyone listening, until next time, I wish you well. For more episodes of Real Talk with Real Teachers by Dr. Becky Bailey, visit ConsciousDiscipline.com forward slash podcasts. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app.